Welcome to Most Popular, the podcast that wants to be the cool art teacher who seems like she's super chill, but who's really the vice principal enforcing norms and eating still crackers. That had nothing to do with research, by the way. It's just how I sort of probably would have pictured myself had, <laughs> had I become a vice principal. Uh, hi, I'm Dr. Adrienne Trierbenik. I'm your host. And in case you're hearing this for the first time, I am a real-life college professor of sociology, and I created this podcast to combine my two loves, pop culture and the impact it has on our lives. Today is a very exciting episode, especially if you are a Valencia student listening to this at Valencia College. Today I'm talking with Dr. Wendy Javoglu. And when we recorded this, uh, Dr. Javoglu's position was the interim campus president for East and Winter Park at Valencia College. And since then, about a, a little under a year later, she became the provost of the Downtown Winter Park and Transfer Initiatives. Um, for Valencia College, and that is her current position. But I wanted to talk to her um, at the time, uh, number one, um, because she was my my main boss, and I found her fascinating after having worked with her for as long as I had. Um, but I wanted to talk to her because of her dissertation, which was called Curating Culture Through Social Media in the 21st Century, Orlando as a Case Study for Arts Participation and Engagement Among Millennials. So basically, she looked at um, how social media is curating art and how millennials are soaking it all up. So all of these studies and all of the stuff you hear coming out now um, about uh, social media engagement and what effect it has on uh, especially young people's brains and our cognitive abilities, um, Wendy was kind of at the beginning of that. So um, this conversation is uh, fascinating for a lot of reasons. One, it's a person that I am very proud to work with and to know a little bit. And also, it's extremely timely. Social media is here. And, um, you know, in my classes, we can debate it's good and bad. But uh, it's fascinating to look at how it has evolved and what we're using it for. So with that said, I'm very excited to present this conversation with Dr. Javoglu. So welcome, Wendy, to Most Popular. Thank you, Adrian. It's a pleasure to be here. So from reading your bio, it is so clear how much you love community art programs. So just listen, just listen to this, everybody. She's on the board of directors for the Garden Theater, which is in Central Florida, the United Arts of Central Florida. She's won two awards from the League of Innovation and Community Colleges. She's got three National Endowment for the Humanities grants for summer study. She got a grant for a summer study at Cambridge University. And she's been awarded the University Club of Orlando Endowed Chair in the Humanities. So this is amazing. Where does all of this love of the arts come from? Well, you just called me out. I am a shameless humanities nerd. I'm proud of it. <laughs> you know, I, and thinking about the question, I grew up doing all of the arts lessons, the playing piano, playing flute, musical theater, art camp, all of that. And while my mother might tell you I was good enough at playing flute to have majored in music, I just kind of knew I wasn't by the time I was in high school, <laughs> <laughs> comparing myself to other like serious musicians and people who just really had that natural talent. And what I learned is that I just loved the arts. I loved being in the mix being in the theater, being in the museum, being in the symphony. And so um, when I, when I got to, to college, I ended up uh, becoming a humanities major after, after dabbling in business for about a year and a half. 
Um, I didn't even know there was such a thing as, as humanities. So I kind of just became a, a connoisseur uh, and an enthusiast and not necessarily a practitioner or working artist. Um, do you, were you in, cause like I was in musical theater plays in high school and I hope the videos never surface, but in <laughs> middle school and high school, did you do any of that stuff? Oh, yes. And <laughs> this is where, as we talk about generations later, because I'll reveal I'm a Gen X, I'm not a millennial. Yeah. I'm really glad that some of that archival footage is not as readily accessible. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't have social media and all of that back then. But yes, there, there, you might see me as a pirate in the Pirates of Penzance or, you know, a babe in Toyland or something in the background in the Nutcracker. And yeah, a lot of that. I was in Guys and Dolls, and I was one of the the girls who were the dancers for the for the Adelaide character and looking back mm-hmm. it was insanely inappropriate for <laughs> a school to put this play on with like these 16 year old girls in like little bikini tops but at the time I was like hey check me out you know look at how great this is <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome most of the archival footage of me from high school would have been more banned like wearing full you know yeah. uniform and uh, making history as the first female president of the Melbourne High School band. There had never been a girl president ever Way in to the history go. of the band. And yeah, so uh, breaking barriers, breaking down barriers back then. Yeah, your <laughs> roots are deep. Uh, that's what I think is interesting about this. Um, so when you got to college, you decided to do humanities. Was there anything that sort of nudged you in that direction other than loving arts? Uh, truly, it was taking like one of those basic intro to humanities classes mm-hmm. and just loving my professor and finding out that it was a major. And then that that day when I went to my advisor's office and she talked to me about majoring in humanities and then learning FSU had a study abroad program and kind of studying my eyes on that, which I did in Florence, Italy, and um, just just realizing that this was my place. And I was kind of miserable as a business major, nor was I very successful. It's amazing how much one professor can shape that too, you know? Absolutely. Uh, What inspired you to move into a master's and a doctoral program? So, um, you know, back then, which was in the, let's just call it the early to mid nineties, when I was graduating with my, my bachelor's degree and I had an area of focus in art history, um, there are very few things you can actually do with a bachelor's in humanities <laughs> at the time. I'd say now, you know, it might be a little bit different. And so it seemed like a natural progression to keep going. And um, FSU had something called the Community College Teaching Program. And I was actually advised out of it, which was really interesting. However, I listened to my internal voice and said, but this sounds really cool. They're going to teach me how to teach at a community college and I get to study more humanities. So I, I went ahead and went through that program. It was awesome. And um, the master's degree in humanities was amazing at FSU as well. And I was able to continue on with a focus in art history and what was then called the modern world, 19th and 20th centuries. And so um, I ended up doing a teaching internship at Tallahassee Community College. And then that helped me get a part-time teaching faculty job there when I graduated. So I, I did a lot of teaching at FSU and Tallahassee Community College in the humanities and art history. And just, it was my happy place. Just hoping to be that professor to other students who maybe um, didn't know about the world of humanities and how it actually reflects them and their world today. Um, we're so parallel. That w- I mean, mine was 
uh, gender studies, but yeah, I had the same thought of, yeah, I had the same thought of if I can inspire somebody else, not even inspire, just give them a little bit of why this is so great, then I've done my job. And yeah. How yeah. <laughs> these are like the fun classes, right? And I realized I didn't answer the question about the doctoral program at um, at UCF. So I could just say that there was a big gap, a few decades in there where I I taught. I mean, I taught at mm-hmm. uh, Community College, and then I got my teaching job at Valencia. And it was not until um, I was a few years into my dean job at, at Valencia that I took the leap and started the doctoral program. And I'll just say that. Um, a little plug for the University of Central Florida Text and Technology Program, that it really is a 21st century humanities program. And I picked it because it seemed like an actual um, degree that picked up where mine left off, if that makes any sense. Like, you know, a couple decades ago, I finished my master's, here's where humanities was, and then here's where it is now. So I started that in 2012. And um, I just really wanted to have a mix of going to class with other students and like being on a campus and online. So it was really great because it was kind of the best of both worlds there. And it was, it's an interdisciplinary program where you can, uh, aside from the core courses, you can dabble in different departments and disciplines. And so I was able to take classes in philanthropy and social entrepreneurship and really like merge all of my interests together. I am always, I always think that it's, better when you can do that sort of self-driven, well-rounded path for your education. I'm a big advocate of that. Um, Okay, so in a kind of a real nutshell, because we'll get into the details in a second, but talk about what your dissertation was and what you studied. Okay, sure. Um, so I would call my dissertation both personal and professional. You know, as I mentioned, I was working in really arts administration, but at a college at the time and knew that I wanted to do something in that field. So I'm going to nerd out and tell you my dissertation title, which is Curating Culture Through Social Media in the 21st Century, Orlando as a Case Study for Arts Participation and Engagement Among Millennials. And so at that time, you know, I was uh, approaching about the 20-year mark of living in Orlando, and I had seen such change in the city of Orlando in terms of um, being an arts epicenter. And Mm -hmm. um, it was really important to me to connect my research to my community. And I'll just say that my nascent research is always fun to go back and look at your first project. Mm -hmm. I was looking at how technology was being incorporated into the arts, things like tweet seats at the theater where only these rows of patrons could like sit and use Twitter and live tweet an event. (laughs) And that was like groundbreaking or um, some of the crowdsourcing that was happening. Like in England, there was the the Royal Opera did the first Twitter opera where they created an operatic libretto out of tweets and stuff like that. Kind of felt gimmicky at the time. And maybe they've withstood the test of time, but By the time I got to, um, you know, to thinking about dissertation, I really wanted to do a community service project and look at um, a generation, so the millennials, and, you know, I'm a millennial wannabe, I'm really Gen X, but I think I have a lot of millennial characteristics, (laughs) even though um, I'm Gen X, that I wanted to really look at this generation that might be able to help save the arts, if the arts needed to be saving, to really see, like, you know, the millennials, some of them were getting, you know, sometimes a, a bad rap, let's just say. And they seem to be this target demographic that all of the arts organizations wanted. And yet these like foreign creatures that nobody could understand. And to me, I thought, you know, the arts are pressed and primed to receive 
millennials um, who are steeped in participatory culture and a lot of the things that the arts are all about. So I just kind of set out to test some of those ideas through my dissertation. Um, what did you find? Just kind of, uh, I know I, I said for for research method students, you can, you know, like nerd out as much as you want. Uh, but what what did you find? What What was your kind of main takeaway from it? Oh, wow. Okay. So this is, I'm going to try and keep it brief. <laughs> and I will also say that I have a tiny URL um, forward slash Javogla dissertation, and we can link up to it. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, anyone can read the full thing. It's a, it's a hyperlink, like bookmarked PDF. It's easy to go straight to the part that you're interested in. Um, so what I would say is this, is that just a little bit about the study, because I think that'll help answer the question of what I found. Um, one of the best and really oldest arts advocacy organizations in the United States is called American for the Arts. Um, its acronym is AFTA. And they had this 2015 arts engagement survey uh, that had some pretty cool findings about millennials from across the country and their levels of participation and what they viewed as art, anything from the Instagram posts and photos that they take and share on their own social media pages to um, just posting about other arts events, like th just the different constructs of what millennials considered arts participation was really interesting. And so I got permission from AFTA to replicate some of their questions just for Central Florida millennials. Mm. And I wanted to see, well, how do we measure up against um, you know, the national cohort. Um, and so I, I, I found that we actually had higher engagement levels for millennials. And I think a lot of that is um, because we had just opened our Dr. Phillips Center for the Performing Arts, which at the time, you know, was really um, foregrounding its mission of arts for every life and doing a lot of um, diverse, non-stuffy arts programming. We also have a lot of festivals and um, arts and non-traditional uh, venues, which the national data suggested millennials prefer festivals and non-traditional venues, and Orlando um, also certainly suggested that in the data. Um, I'll also tell you I wrote some of my own survey questions, so I um, had that survey data, and I can share with you what I found from that. And then I also interviewed six executive directors from Central Florida Arts Organizations. Um, can I give them a shout out, Adrian? Of course, <laughs> of course. Okay, great. Um, so the organizations that I worked with, I got to interview executive directors, and I have to say I did know all of them anyways from working in the arts, but I learned so much about them through this process um, from Central Florida Community Arts, um, Creative City Project, which is known for Immerse in Central Florida, where the arts become unleashed on all of downtown Orlando, and then there's digital programming throughout the year, um, Downtown Arts District, Orlando Fringe, and Garden Theater. And so what I did, and what was interesting is that most of the executive directors were millennials themselves. So it was really great to get their um, perspective on how um, who's engaging with millennials in their organizations was, um, was different than working with other generations. And then, so I basically triangulated the data and came up with an arts action plan of five things our, our organization should do right now if they're looking to use digital technologies and social media to engage with millennials. So um, I'll just rattle off some of the stats without getting too, too deep, but there's a question in there um, where millennials could agree to some extent that a vibrant arts and culture scene is important to them when considering in what city they will live. And so 97% of my uh, millennials who took the survey, and that was about 100 uh, respondents of the survey. Wow. Um, 
uh, did agree that, and at the time, 52% of the AFTA millennials had said that was important to them. Now, you have to also keep in mind, you know, down the road, we could talk limitations of the study, and that's my dissertation, that, you know, in the years from 2015 to the year that I was surveying, which was 2018, you know, that's kind of maybe a natural shift anyways, but that's a pretty high level Mm -hmm. um, of agreement. And um, also very... um, Typical, I think that millennials at the time, the data would suggest that millennials would first pick a city where they wanted to live and then go and get a job. Mm-hmm. So I'm connecting those dots to say that, wow, well, if there's an, a vibrant arts and cultural scene, then that might make that city more attractive. Um, other things that were really interesting, this is one that really ties to my action plan. At the time, um, the AFTA millennials, only 46% of them agreed with the statement, everyone in my community has equal access to the arts. And I thought that was pretty low. However, the Central Florida Millennials, only 26% agreed with that. So that was wow. um, an interesting data point for me to say, okay, that's about a quarter of these millennials believe that in our community there's equal access. And so I have a few ideas on, on what to do about that. Um, other things, you know, what the top social media platforms were, like 99% Facebook, <laughs> 77% Instagram, 51% YouTube, like those were the top three social media platforms at the time. I think that would probably be a little different now. Um, and then 86% of the respondents agreed that they're more exposed to arts and culture through social media. What was really interesting about that is that I was able to segment my data. It was a Qualtrics survey. Uh, according to those who had responded that they had some kind of arts experiences like we did, Adrian, like in their K through 12, like outside extracurricular years, like those who had any kind of dance lessons, music lessons, theater, they did art where they went to museums or did anything in their upbringing had higher engagement levels as um, adults, which was pretty cool. And then those who also identify themselves as donors, who currently as adult millennials give to arts organizations, also have higher engagement levels. So there was some really cool segmentation of data based on like those who give, those who had arts in their upbringing, um, and that could help arts organizations with their messaging, you know, for, um, you know, their millennial constituencies. And so I'll pause for a minute because I could get into the themes from the executive directors, which are kind of cool. But I don't know if you have any questions on any of that so far. A <laughs> um, couple of things to fill in the blanks. Um, yeah. By the way, it's really heartening to hear that arts are still something people look for when they are looking for their community. And also that they are, I mean, you would know more than I would, but it seems like since art has been around, the people have been making the case that this makes you a better human, like a human person living amongst us. If you have some exposure to art in some capacity in your childhood, even just in some sort of, you know, during your formative years, um, it's, it's great to hear that that continues to stay strong because, you know, we're living in a time where art isn't always valued. So um, that's really heartening. And it, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's my high point for the day. That's, it's good to hear. Oh, I'm so glad. And I worry with, let's face it, we're having this discussion in our post pandemic or during the pandemic uh, times. And these arts organizations are experiencing now 
something similar to the 2008 recession, which is really scary for a lot of arts organizations. And so I really, really hope, um, you know, already the digital creativity and the virtual remote happenings and um, other um, education opportunities are bolstering these organizations. But I, I really, really hope that um, you know, maybe this discussion we're having will help to raise awareness as well of, of what the arts can do for a community to further engage. That really leads well into one of my questions, which is I wanted to hear about what struggles you thought community art-based programs face. Like what makes, what challenges do they face? Sure. So, um, you know, the way I, I answered it in my dissertation would be different than now because, you know, as I mentioned with um, COVID-19 and mm-hmm. how the arts um, are responding, you know, it's really hard when they, you look at that loss of revenue, whether it's for visitor serving organizations, you know, like museums and history centers or, um, you know, ticket ticketed events. And so I would say, you know, one of the struggles right now is just responding to that. Those organizations that have a diverse funding model um, are probably less, uh, you know, I'd say less at, at risk, you know, because of this loss of revenue, but it's very, very hard. So I would say, um, you know, just looking at sources of revenue, you know, grants and community organizations that can help fund the arts um, and the, the loss of that revenue is, is a struggle. Um, I think also when we look at, you know, our, our world right now, and looking at the history of philanthropy, the arts have often be, been viewed as a nice to have mm-hmm. versus a need to have. And so when people give, they often want to give to those life-saving organizations, right? Like right. the American Heart Association or, you know, Red Cross or, um, and so that, um, that is, that is a struggle. Now I make a case in my action plan to say that if the arts foregrounded um, the story of what they do for the community in terms of putting people to work and the economic impact of the arts and um, building diverse communities and providing access and empathy building and all of that, you know, that that, that kind of story might appeal more also to millennial donors. Um, the big, big, big struggle is just competition, right? Competition for entertainment. You know, why leave your house, right, with all of this wonderful yeah. media streaming we have? yeah. <laughs> And of course, you know, we've been forced to stay at home for some time now during our quarantine. Uh, so, but really at the time I was writing my dissertation, that was one of the big um, struggles was that um, people were more likely to want to have a Netflix and chill night than go buy a ticket and go somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And, um, possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I would just say possibly the um, pretense, you know, that was some people have a stereotypical view like, oh, the arts are so pretentious or you have to dress up or, you know, so I think it's kind of an identity crisis is something that could make an, an organization struggle. Yeah, or that it has to be inside or, um, you know, I like street art. Every city I visit, every place I go, I try and find street artists in some capacity and either listen or buy whatever they're selling or what I was in Rome. And this Mm -hmm. woman, this woman was selling these pictures that she she gets from somewhere like she buys the picture and then she watercolors over them and they're different scenes and stuff. And um, somebody next to me said, "Ugh, that's just you know, that's just common. That's just so basic. And there's no reason to buy that. And I thought, well, for five, I think it was five euros, I can buy this cute little picture that she hand painted. Yeah, that she hand painted. And who cared? This is hers. And I'm taking it. And thank you. That's some of my favorite stuff to do. Um, 
what do you, you kind of started in this direction, but what do you wish people knew more about when it came to arts and community engagement and being a part of arts in the community? Sure. Um, I would say, you know, the education programming, in many cases, um, you have organizations, you know, I'll take Central Florida Community Arts who partner with um, public schools. And we have amazing um, K through 12 Orange County Public School and Osceola County Public School Arts Education programs. There are other organizations like Central Florida Community Arts that will um, kind of overlay, you know, with their own programming or provide camps or after school programs, lessons. Um, so we, we've got an incredible um, education arm of nearly every arts organization. Um, you mentioned earlier about, you know, the arts, like we need the arts to expand our empathy and to, mm-hmm. you know, help us process emotions and to um, help transform our lives and just that, that good stuff that we get from the arts. Um, a big movement in the arts right now is arts and wellness or arts and health. Mm. And so um, there are many organizations, I'll say Valencia is a part of a task force in Central Florida really looking at that. And there's a lot of great data behind um, how you can live a physically, mentally, emotionally healthy life by being engaged in the arts. You know, the arts hold up a mirror to our communities, the, the good and the bad, and help us process, um, you know, our uniqueness and our opportunities for improving our communities. And let's just say that the arts provide fun and in-person experiences and might force us to uh, to wake up and experience something live. And there's nothing like a live performance. You know, that, no. that yeah. moment that the curtain goes up mm-hmm. <laughs> is, is that goosebump moment, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. While you were talking, I was thinking, um, I, I don't know if I mentioned this. I did my dissertation on the way women use music to heal after they've, after they've experienced trauma. So it was, yeah, it was sort of in the whole, it was sociology, but it was more holistic healing um, area. And we are recording this in during COVID. We're recording this as people are protesting Mm -hmm. the deaths of several um, people of color. Uh, And the, the, somebody posted a meme, I want to say on Instagram uh, a few weeks ago that said, remember what entertained you during COVID. Remember what kept you sane Mm -hmm. in these moments. It was music and it was visual art and it was movies or television or something along those lines. Because sometimes we forget that that's what this is doing. It's offering a service for your emotional support. Um, Especially music is a little more personal for people, but it's offering that emotional support to you. Uh, That's what I think the power of art has, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will say, you know, Valencia's uh, student development had a remembrance on Facebook Live and Instagram on Friday for Pulse. Mm. And they had the whole first 45 minutes was a live band, uh, Mm -hmm. a wonderful band called Divine AF. And they were amazing. I mean, I'm sitting here watching them play, listening to them talk about why they're here and, you know, why we were gathered. And, you know, I've got tears in my eyes and goosebumps. And mm-hmm. it's just that live experience, even, you know, through the computer. It's overwhelming and it's needed. Well, thank you so much. I want to ask you one question that I'm asking everybody. 
and you can answer it any way you like. It can be, it's basically whatever comes out of your head or your mouth in that moment. Uh, But since the title of my podcast is Most Popular, I ask everybody, who or what do you think deserves to be voted most popular? Okay. Well, you know, I've got to give a nod to the artist, right? Because we're (laughs) we're talking about the art. So, but let me kick it up a notch and say, not sure if you've heard this term before, the art entrepreneurs. Oh no, what is that? Yeah. So, and I didn't coin the phrase and um, there is a wonderful um, other podcast uh, locally about art entrepreneurship. Uh, It's hosted by Cole Neesmith from Creative City Project where these are artists who are um, entrepreneurial. I mean, they're like social entrepreneurs before the Mm -hmm. arts, um, making our world better through the arts and creating business opportunities and innovations and finding ways to use the art to, um, to solve some of our problems. And so that's who I would say is most popular in my book right now. Thank you so much for listening. You can find more episodes of Most Popular on iTunes and SoundCloud. More information, including additional resources for educators, can be found on my website, which is adriantrier-beanick.com. And if you don't know how to spell that, which I guess you don't, my web- the website is linked in episode notes, so my name is all there for you. I am on Instagram at at dr.adriantb. That's at dr.adrienntb. Always, always, always thank you so much to my students for the encouragement to keep making these episodes, and I will see you next time.